Now, today's biggest from the BMW of Des Moines Sports Desk. This is an X's and O's update on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Big 12 Football Media Days continue today from Dallas as Iowa State takes the podium. Full coverage and updates from Chris Williams, live from Big D all day long on KXNO. The Cyclones have picked up another commitment on the recruiting trail as Illinois defensive tackle Willis Singleton pledges to ISU. Singleton picked the Cyclones over offers from Illinois, Michigan State, Louisville, Missouri, and Cincinnati. It's the 16th commitment for Iowa State as they moved to 35th in the national rankings for recruiting. The Cubs and Royals got together for a trade as Chicago sends left-hander Mike Montgomery to KC for catcher Martin Maldonado. Maldonado is considered one of the best defensive catchers in the game and takes over for Wilson Contreras, who has hit the 10-day IL. The Cubs last night on the short side of a 6-3 decision against Cincinnati. They maintain a two-and-a-half game lead over the Brewers after Milwaukee falls 4-2 to Atlanta. The Cardinals with a win last night 7 nothing as they're now only two back in the division as Tyler O'Neill goes deep twice. And O'Neill hits one out to center. Marte back at the wall. Goodbye! Two-run homer. Tyler O'Neill. In the air again. Deep center. He's done it again. Two-run shot. Tyler O'Neill. Into center field. The call from Fox Sports Midwest. High school baseball scoreboard from last night. Number one, Johnston. Over third-ranked Southeast Polk, 11-0. Ankeny Centennial and Mason City split a pair. The Ankeny Hawks sweep their way past Hoover. Dowling with two wins over Des Moines North. Urbandale sweeps Satumwa. And sixth-ranked Waukee with a pair of wins over fifth-ranked Roosevelt. And girls softball regional finals tonight in Class 5A. Number one, Waukee hosts Sioux City North. West Des Moines Valley at home for Hoover. Ankeny is in Fort Dodge. 12th ranked Southeast Polk at Indianola. And Johnston hosts Pleasant Valley, all with a right to go to state. Stay up to date at KXNO.com and all day on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios, you'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. On a Tuesday, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO with you for the next couple of hours. Hope you can stay with us. You can always catch a podcast if you have to dip out or you want to listen to something again. Uh, the podcast page at KXNO.com. We inch our way ever closer uh, to Hackfest coming up this Friday at Copper Creek, KXNO.com. If you haven't signed up, uh, I believe there's still a few spots available, but uh, that's something perhaps you've... Had on the list to do at some point. Uh, it's this weekend. It's this Friday, rather. Hackfest at Copper Creek. Of course, Trent and I will be in Chicago Thursday and Friday for Big Ten Media Days. Chris Williams is on the road. He's in Dallas for Big 12 Media Days. Cyclones are in the spotlight today. In fact, as we speak, Matt Campbell... Uh, is in front of the assembled media, and he's being asked questions about, well, expectations, Trent Condon, and uh, that's going to be a big talker not only in Dallas, but I think leading up to the uh, first week of the season, it's something that uh, is completely new to Iowa State football. Matt Campbell's quote was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, if we listen to the outside world, first three years we would have crumbled long ago. I don't put any stock into what the outside world says. 
He's a different kind of coach. He thinks about things in a different way. I, I think a maybe a more real way than a lot of coaches that are out there. It's not a whole lot of it's coach speaking away. Yes, he's not going to give you. I don't think exactly what he's thinking, but I don't know. Just the way that he answers questions. You notice that that pause that he has a lot of times. You ever notice that when you're watching? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit. I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah, as he's processing the right message that he's looking right. to convey. How does he want to say it? He, I got an argument the other uh, last week with somebody with him. No, not with him. With somebody trying to compare Matt Campbell to PJ Fleck, that they're one and the same. I mean, you talk about in my no. mind two polar opposites. Yeah, PJ Fleck is diarrhea of the mouth with nothing to right, say. Right, right. He says he's everything. Had some results where he's been. Yes, absolutely. Steve Dace picked Minnesota to win the West. Did you see, by the way, his college football? I did. I, this guy is he's, he's brilliant. I, I mean, I, I love Dace. Always have. Uh, I think he's terrific at what he does. But man, oh man. How does a guy devote that much time to doing what he does? And really, I don't think it's compensated at all. But back to your point on PJ Fleck, does he make any money doing this? Oh, I don't. I, I don't think he does. I no. think he just loves it. Does it's it for the love of the game? Yeah, it's good a for him. Uh, but your point on PJ Fleck, Matt Campbell. I mean, they're just to me completely. They're young coaches. Yes, but that's, that's where it stops. That's where it stops. Right. It the way that they've done it, the way that they've been built up. Though there are mantras, you know, witted on the field, what's the other Iowa State ones that they have? It's not row your boat. It's not the self-serving mm-hmm. crap that P.J. Fleck is all about. To me, they are two completely different people. I'm with Dace. I like Minnesota. I think they are mm-hmm. going to be improved as much as I dislike P.J. Fleck and his because it's all about P.J. Fleck. I never get that with Matt Campbell. That it's about Matt Campbell. Do you? No, I don't. It's about Absolutely the program. Don't. It's about the football right. team. You won't see an Iowa State football poster like in years past when the, when the biggest picture on the poster was Paul Rhodes. Right, yeah. Um, with the arms crossed, yeah, the, you you won't you won't see you won't see Matt Campbell. At least I don't believe, be on it, perhaps, but won't be the focal point, And that's what it's all about. Uh, a lot of positive things going on from Iowa State. It's completely different. Meet the uh, head coach of Iowa State in Dallas today because uh, for the first time in a long time, as we've said, there the national media is paying attention uh, to this program. I listened yesterday uh, at some point to Sirius uh, Satellite Radio. They were live at the SEC, but they went live to Dallas and talking about the uh, Oklahoma and Texas at the top, but spent more time on Iowa State as opposed to the Sooners or the Longhorns or anybody else in the pro are in, in the conference and they're all just completely falling over themselves uh, with appreciation for what this guy's done here uh, and that's probably I mean you're getting that but you're also getting a whole ton of sep- uh, of appreciation for the folks that actually step up and buy those tickets and have bought these tickets for so many years in hopes that one day uh one year this day will come well it's here you know i i've heard national conversations about this Iowa State team and and what they're building, what they're becoming. And it just it feels so much different than it has in the past. And when, this isn't a one-year blip. No. Trend. I truly believe that. Wake Forest playing for it, winning the right. ACC. Yes. And then becoming Wake Forest. Right. Washington State had a couple of those Rose mm-hmm. Bowls, but it was mm-hmm. with a great quarterback. It was Drew Bledsoe, and then mm-hmm. it was Ryan Leaf. And by but, the way, the Ryan Leaf story is spectacular. Now hired at ESPN. That's good for him. But those, I would love to have him on our program one day. That's I a really, good call. I really would. I will reach out to the contacts we have at ESPN and see if we can. Well, make we've that got happen. one of those contacts coming on in twelve yeah. minutes. Although I don't think Zubin does the booking. <laughs> <laughs> not not at the forefront of things. Though he has right. helped us out with some of those. Sure, things he has. In the past, Absolutely has. Which is always great. But those blips that happen with these perennial 
bottom feeder programs. Well, we talked about yesterday, Kansas. Yeah. They had the run to the Orange Bowl, <clears throat> yeah. and they had some success, but mm-hmm. the sustained success, and why this feels different, it's not just it's a quarterback that's all of a sudden well, leading helps, up to height. But you're right. It, the, but that's not it's it. It's a defense. They, they've done it with different quarterbacks. Yeah, they, they have. This, this, this team's calling card this year is defense in the Big 12. And what I heard yesterday is they were talking about defense in the Big 12, and I was very thankful that they moved past the narrative that, ha, 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 the Big 12 doesn't play defense, ha. Mm. It's an easy joke and one that, frankly, isn't true anymore. But they were talking about, in their mind, three of the best four defensive players in the league mm-hmm. are from Iowa State. Right, they all get their mail and names. Three out of the four best defense. These are national people. This isn't, this isn't you and me. This isn't this is fanatic.com. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this isn't a thread that we probably saw five summers ago. Right. Uh, on Cyclone Fanatic. And no, six summers ago, and yeah. seven summers ago, and eight summers ago. These are invested mm, national true. people talking about how good these players are. How I good think it's this great team for our state. I think yes. it's wonderful for our state. I really do. Uh, the depth chart is out. So, by the way, Zuba Mahente's coming up. Then we'll get Matt Postens. He's live in Dallas as well. <clears throat> 11 o'clock hour. You and I were supposed to be at uh, Principal Park on Thursday. Of course, we're going to be in Chicago on Thursday. Uh, so we wanted to give the iCubs a little love. Randy Wayhofer is going to join us. A lot of things to talk to him about. Uh, Ian Happ is playing his best ball of the year. So that will certainly be a part of it, among some other topics as well. The Cubs have made a trade. We'll get into that. Uh, and then Chris Williams is going to join the program at about uh, 1120 or 1125. But the depth chart came out. Uh, we anticipated that it would today. Anything jump off the page uh, with you? The one that did it to me is, look, I I, I get that uh, that Petway is going to have to earn his spot, I guess. Sure. But you know, you're not a grad transfer to be third on the depth chart. Let's no, be no. honest. And I, I think by and the there's time, ores in there. Yeah, August camp breaks. I think we'll see Petway more than likely getting that first snap of the season out there against you and I. Although I am anxious to see because I don't remember Sean Shaw, redshirt freshman. He's the next big dude, and he's, he is a big dude, and that's what caught my attention. From six Lazar six. to Butler, and now yeah. here's the next one in Shaw. Right. Sean Shaw Jr. That is a mouthful. We yeah, need they, a nickname. They, it's not the best name on the team. Sean Shaw Jr. That's Doesn't, a good one. You know that, what the best name on the team is? Ooh. And he plays the right spot to have this name. Now, I, Michael Petway is a good one. Good name. That's a good name. But then, but to receiver Petway, okay, this guy's name is ideal for the position that he plays. Dylan Sainer? No. Well, that's good. That's but, a good one. That's not the one I'm thinking of. Let's go to the other side of the ball. Other side of the ball. Wazarike, because he can finally mm. say it? <laughs> no, but we took a lot of practice to get there. <laughs> Last summer was tough. Pulvermacher. Ah, yes. That is a good one. Pulvermacher. Right. <laughs> Coming through as, as at the linebacker spot, Pulvermacher. Just you can just see Pulvermacher decleating the kid, and he's uh, behind in the depth chart. Will McDonald? That's one of the things that jumped off the charts, and he made the list of freaks, did he not? Bruce Feldman's list that he puts out every year at, at the, the athletic, athletic this yeah. year. Uh yeah, the freaks list. That's where Tristan Wurst was the number one freak mm-hmm. in the land, uh, and he was like forty second, a guy that. He played last season, but he didn't play the full complement right. game, so he was able to kept his year of eligibility, yep, maintain his red shirt. So he's a red shirt freshman out there. Where's number nine as a linebacker? I love the single digits as defense. Oh, I didn't notice the number. Yeah. Does he front seven guy wearing number yeah. nine? I absolutely love that. But a physical specimen, <laughs> and when a young guy shows up on a list like this and at a place like Iowa State, we're not mm-hmm. talking about Alabama or something where you know this five star coming in and what a freak he is. You know that the coaching staff is very high. Reading the article from Feldman, 
you could tell he had a little birdie probably telling him a little something about it. Sure. They're very high on Will McDonald. That linebacking crew, if McDonald is as advertised. The front seven, Trent, is, 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 is as good as there is in the conference. And Salty. It is, and this is this is a unit, a front seven that's going to be talked about as the best front sevens in college football. Not right at the, right the very top, but in that conversation. I mean, look at the guys that they've got. Bailey, Lima, Awazaruke, you just mentioned. Spears has had a terrific uh, career, quite honestly. Mike Rose is his second year. He was all freshman uh, in college football last year. Will McDonald is a freak, for God's sakes. I missed somebody. Who did I miss? Oh, Jaleel Johnson. How about Matt Leo as a backup? Matt Leo's a backup, and he had significant playing time. Matt Leo's 27 years old or 26. Is that right? He's an old dude. Yeah, yeah. I remember now yeah. when you say that, him as he was being recruited. Mm-hmm. They're talking about this old guy from JUCO. Who's and- never played football, yep. and they're just new to the game. Came from Australia, right? Uh, Matt Leo did, and uh, boy, he certainly looks the part. But it took him a little while to learn the game and learn the game at this level. And he played last time or last year, rather, uh, due to some injuries, got some playing times, and didn't look out of place as all. And he'll exhaust his eligibility this year. And I got a feeling we'll be hearing his name. Another takeaway: How about running back? Five dudes listed. Yeah, five guys. Mm-hmm. Don't see that very often no, unless you you're don't. talking about a burger chain. Five or guys. Or a quarterback at uh, TCU. Oh, they had six. They, they had, had a six-pack. Six right? uh, no, you don't. And there's a bunch of oars. My takeaway defensively is Braxton Lewis, who finally got his scholarship mm, and yes. played a ton last year and, and did so while paying to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, got his scholarship finally. He's got some competition. The kid, the transfer from Rice, and that's a good thing. Yes. And despite the fact that you would have thought that, you know, he finally is on scholarship. Um, he played a ton last year as a junior. He's got his opportunity this year, but he's going to have to earn that spot on, on a very salty defense. Eisworth, you know, he's going to be solid. Um, this defense is going to be terrific, Trent. It really and truly is. Iron sharpens iron. You bring mm-hmm. in a player that is going to push one of your starters. This is a good thing. What's the concern on this team? On the um, well, the punt punter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised there wasn't an or there with Joe Rivera, the player that punted twice last year against Drake. That was the only action that he saw. Well, with the and, and the, other, the kid that just transferred in too. Yeah, right? the San Jose State yeah. kid wasn't listed here. Right. Uh, you know, field goal kicker is always a concern. I think at Iowa yeah. State. I mean, that that's never been a strength of this football team. We think the offensive line is better. Uh, my concern is they're not going to throw the ball to the tight ends enough. <laughs> You're already coming back off your prediction? No, no, I'm not. But, but I mean, it's a concern because I think that they're finally going to utilize. They should, for crying out loud. Yes. Um, concerns. Special teams, I think. I mean, yeah. the punter and the kicker. Simple as that. It's not a bad place to be going no, into a not. season. It's not. I mean, the, usually this is an easy question to answer. How long have you got? <laughs> right. What side of the ball you wanted me to start on? Well, you can go through a lot of different position groups if you'd <laughs> Not like. Not this year. Not oh. this year. Um, Quarterback, really I guess. Cornerback. Yeah, just because they replaced both of yeah. uh, the starters from last year. I guess that's probably fair. That's probably fair. In a league where they're going to chuck the ball around a little bit, uh, Young and Johnson, Anthony Johnson, Daytron Young, the two guys at the top of that chart right now, I guess... Some new names on there. Right. We'll have to kind of see on and that. I, and the reason I guess we could put them in that category is we just don't know. Right. right? Yeah. We don't know if they're going to. I mean, Peavy was terrific and played the entire year injured. You know, you wonder. Well, no, you don't. The kid wanted to, he did what he wanted to do, and, and now he's gone. And um, we'll see. 
We'll see. that, But that would probably be the place. All right, we're going to get time out. We didn't talk any about the Cubs. We'll find a way to get them uh, into the conversation. Boy, oh, boy, the defense. We praised the defense after this first weekend. Yeah. Trent, I mean, back-to-back plays, back-to-back errors, just unbelievably costly. And Caratini has a chance. To, and it was tough. The ball was blowing. Uh, the wind was blowing out. Caratini had a chance to make a play by a foul ball, catch a foul ball. And right uh, before that play... He made a ridiculously great stab yes. on that should have been wild pitch. That's a great point. I mean, he just plucked it. And, mm-hmm. well, and that's why he got Caratini back there. What a great mm-hmm. defensive and then, catcher. Yeah. And, and, dun, 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 dun. But it was the win. It was the win. I mean, yeah. the, the, the home runs. Puig never even left the batter's box on his home run. Did you see that? <laughs> he sat, sat there because, A, the ball's going to be foul. And, B, it's going to be somewhere between the third baseman and the, and the left field. Or somewhere it's going to fall between Bodie um, and Schwarber. It's going to be in the seats. Ball ends up in the basket. I run. love watching Yasiel Puig so much. I just am entertained. Now, if he was on my team and watching him in 162, I know you'd be annoyed by it, but I don't know, the 20, 25 times that I watch him mm-hmm. throughout the course of the year, I just get a kick out of that guy. Seems like a fun-loving dude. Maybe a little off-kilter. Yeah, no, he's he's out there for sure. But enjoyable. Yeah, he is. Suarez home run, and he, when he hit his home run. First inning yes. last night, that's another one. With two uh, outs, look like, alright, here we go, Kendricks and then he, and he and Deshaies is pr- pr- yeah, he's praising Hendricks because he's elevating the baseball, and he uh-huh. got it, that's where you, if you're going to get him, you want to get the ball up. Well, the first one was at the letters, as Deshaies mentioned. Next ball was at the uh, was belt high, and boom, into the basket it went. Zuba Mahente joins us next. Matt Poston's from Dallas. Chris Williams is going to join the program. Randy Wade for on the Iowa Cubs as Trent and I have to miss Thursday, so we're going to give the Iowa Cubs a little love on the program here today. We are with you until noon. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty. Details. The title wads. It's twenty four hour sports, morning, noon, and night here on fourteen sixty KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty KXNO. Twenty minutes or so, we will. Head down to Dallas, catch up with Matt Postens, Heartland College Sports. Chris Williams in hour number two as well. Right now, Zubin Mahente, ESPN. He joins the program. Zubin, uh, good to talk to you. Trent and Ken, how's things? Pretty light this week. I was talking to Trent during the commercial break. This is kind of one of those weeks where I know Federer and Djokovic started the week with yeah. an amazing sort of display of athleticism. But this is kind of one of those weeks where... They're few and far between where they don't fly. This is actually one. <laughs> yeah, there are very few of them, no doubt. Well, that'll give you more time to help Trent and I out because we're going to ask you to line up Ryan Leaf for us. Uh, <laughs> what a great story, Trent. Uh, Trent and I both, um, you know, we, we'd love to have him on, and we're just kidding about having, you know, getting you to do it. But what is what a what a life story uh, so far Ryan Leaf has written. And by all accounts to this point, the the, the turnaround, and now we know what he, he's going to be at uh, ESPN. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but uh, really good story, Ryan Leaf. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those situations where, for your listeners that aren't aware, he's probably going to be teaming with Clay Matnick on games on ESPN2 primarily. And, you know, it's one of those situations where it really is hard to believe it was more than two decades ago because I think for the most part, if you say somebody was a first-team All-American, somebody was a Heisman finalist, uh, you would think that it would be easy to stay relevant, especially in a sport where this fall on Fox, you know, they're going to trot out Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and Brady Quinn. And, you know, Ryan Leaf has all the accolades they did. But obviously, what you mentioned is Ryan Leaf's off-the-field situation, the press conference, the yeah. meeting up with the reporter in San Diego, mm-hmm. the infamously terrible game 
that he'll talk to you about, I've spoken to him about, uh, in Kansas City. It was one of the worst individual statistical performances in the history of the NFL at the quarterback position. And he points to that game. People point to the locker room issue with the reporter. People point to the situation with trying to live up billing with Manning. But he points to that game in Kansas City, and I don't have the computer right in front of me, but if you guys were to look it up, or I'm sure some of your Chiefs fans in your audience remember, uh, that was the nader. And he said it. He said it himself. Uh, he lives in Los Angeles now. He's got a fiance. He's got a 21-month-old kid. Um, and uh, it's just a great story. I mean, for people that are old enough to you know, go back 20 years and remember how good he was and how tight it was with Manning, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's kind of funny that, you know, Manning's the guy that right now won't get into TV. Yeah, <laughs> good point. The accomplishment is to, is to get into TV. But for those that are old enough to remember, I think they can see the ebb and flow uh, to that story. And it's, uh, it's pretty great. And I think from all the comments that I've seen over the last couple of days, he seems pretty grateful to have it. Zubin, football season right around the corner. we got training camps for the NFL getting ready to start tomorrow. And, of course, media days here already. The SEC Big 12 going on. I saw the release of the American and uh, their preseason poll. Getting closer and closer. And I guess the biggest newsy story that I took away from yesterday down in Arlington, Texas, was that Lincoln Riley said, Jalen Hurts isn't his starter yet. You believe what he's trying to sell there? I think on the surface, I would. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think you can promise anybody anything. Right. Uh, you know, when Kelly Bryant Good transfers point. to Missouri, I, I don't think Barry Odom can say to him, listen, you're absolutely positively going to be the starter. And I don't think Jalen Hurts can get that assurance from Lincoln Riley. But I think pretty much when you look at the amount of experience guys like that have, if you take a look at who he's really up against in terms of Hurts, and maybe this kid, Spencer Rattler, who they have, is the future. But there's no way he's going to be able to match the game experience, the big moment experience uh, that Jalen Hurts has. Hurts himself said he was built for this, which I uh, do believe. The guy was 26-2 and two as a starter uh, at Alabama. And I think a lot of people want to say he has great weapons around him. But I, I think you're discounting people that say that, how well he played. He burst onto the scene and was an impact player. Uh, as a freshman. So I guess, you know, Lincoln does have to say that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's hard to doubt the guy that has, in two years on the job, been the two college football playoffs and has back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. So he certainly knows what he's doing at the quarterback position. Um, I think it probably, to your point, trends a little bit of coach speak because nobody in the country almost can match the big game experience of Jalen Hurts, much less somebody in Norman, Oklahoma, doing it. But I think right now you probably do have to say that since you are participating in any sort of camp. But I think Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurts and guys like that that go into those situations, Justin Fields, even though he doesn't have as much experience as those other two guys, Tate Martell, who doesn't have as much experience as those other two guys, when you kind of make that move, you sort of have an implicit understanding uh, that it's probably your job to lose. That doesn't mean it's your job to have, but it's your job to lose. Uh, Zubin Mahente from ESPN is our guest. Uh, Zubin, how will uh, ESPN, have you guys talked about this yet, handle availability reports or whatever they're going to call them? Because I believe that it's, you know, it's inevitable that, uh, that all of the conferences are going to be required to, not like the way the, the NFL does it, right? They come out and they, 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 uh, update Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then they're out type of thing. Uh, it's, it's different with college kids. 
But, um, you know, we had another state join the gambling uh, frenzy yesterday. So it's inevitable it's going to happen. How have you guys, have you guys discussed this at all, is, is how availability reports will be handled by your college football people? From what I understand, when they're available, and if they're available, they'll be put out and super easy to find, from what I understand, in terms of our dissemination. The issue obviously comes to, in the NFL, there's a standard procedure of protocol. Every team, whether they like it or not, has to put it out. And to your point, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, probable, questionable, out, all of those sorts of designations based on percentages. The player that has a 50% chance of playing is deemed questionable, and that's standard across the 32 teams uh, in the NFL. But the way that it's going in the major conferences is, you know, this is where having the lack of a star or a commissioner in college football or college basketball really hurts because there's really no uniformity. And so what I gather is when those are available, depending on how the conference has decided to dole them out, specifically put them out, what the criteria is to actually be on the injury report, I'll just call it the injury report, for these purposes, uh, I think we would just disseminate it. I just think the problem is the NFL, basically baseball, if you go on the injured list, there's a standard time, whether it's 15 or truncated to 10, and everybody's just a pl- a- a plays by the same rules. problem we're going to have here is, is it the possibility of, receiving an injury report from one conference and not another. Right. What happens if there's an interconference matchup? The beginning of the season, I know, like, for example, Iowa and Rutgers are playing early in Big Ten play, but the majority of games that weekend, I would presume, I would presume are going to be non-conference games or many non-conference games. And then how does that happen? And then there's always the issue of resources as well, just in terms of, it sounds, this is only something that you and I would think about, um, you know, maybe not so much the listeners, But if you work in the sports information department of a Big Ten or a Big 12 school like Iowa or Iowa State, you can have a lot of people working at your disposal, whereas a lot of places that, let's say, play at the FCS level and are moving up for a check to play an FCS team, they're obviously going to have some sort of injury report because their student-athletes are as important as big-time student-athletes. They cover those people and want to make sure they're in good shape. But you might not have the availability at those smaller schools just because of the resources and numbers of employees to get an update for it. You get one more than once a week. Does it just come out once a week? And if it's just a once-a-week deal, how much can you really put on a small, strapped athletic department or sports information department where you probably think nothing of getting an injury report after an Iowa or an Iowa State practice every day? So there's just a lot of inequity there with the FCS, the FBS, and even the FBS conferences can't agree on much. So I would assume when we get them, they would be widely available. But I still think because every conference has different standards, different amount of teams. Um, That is probably going to be a little more challenging than people think. Zubin, uh, as you look at college football as a whole, it's Alabama, Clemson, and everybody else. At least it feels that way. Could that turn into a problem? Is it turning into a problem when you're talking about national championship? It feels like there's two teams, maybe three if you want to throw Georgia in there, and that's it. Yes, I think that's definitely a problem. I think one place where you don't, where you see it already, and again, this is not a great gauge, but uh, you rarely, and I don't know how much you guys flip the dial, because obviously I know you're still hyper-focused on what's going on in central Iowa. Um, there is very, very, very little college football chatter on national sports talk radio. And there's just nothing to talk about. It's exactly what you said. Mm. Now, one other sport that's really struggling on national sports talk radio is baseball. But as we've discussed on this show many, many times, you know, today in Chicago, they're going to be lighting up the phone lines to talk about the the trade the Cubs made. It just simply doesn't resonate anywhere else. And we're talking about a guy 
got on the mound to the final out of the 2016 World Series. I mean, everything you could possibly want, a legendary legacy franchise, making a big move, single trade deadline. It's just a shoulder shrug around the country uh, that's outside of Chicago and maybe outside of this area because the Iowa Cup and all that. But college football is very close to being in the same boat. You never hear discussion on national sports talk radio about what's happened to USC coming off their first losing season in 18 years. Uh, Texas is back. That's an interesting story for college football fans. It just doesn't resonate that wildly. I mean, this is a four-loss Texas team proclaiming their back. Um, it just doesn't catch the fancy of people. And I think that's a bit of a problem. If you've got a scrape for Georgia, um, knowing that when they play Alabama, what's going to happen, and you're hoping that's your third team to try to get something into the mix, I think it's tough. I don't know what the sport does. Maybe they need a Jim Harbaugh renaissance. Maybe this is the year with Day in Ohio State still getting his wings under him. Maybe they bust through, and he's obviously got a sort of transcendent personality. And People outside of college football know Jim Harbaugh because of his success in the NFL as a player and a coach. But I, I think, to your point, Trent, it, it will pay some dividends down the road in terms of if one of them can become truly dynastic. I think you could probably say Alabama's already there and Clemson's probably on the on the precipice of being dynastic. And we all know we love dynastic teams like the Bulls and the Yankees of the 90s. But the sport at large, it doesn't get a lot of attention on the radio. You turn on anywhere Monday morning, people are talking about the NFL. And I just don't see that for college football, whether it's ESPN, Fox, CBS, Sirius XM, um, CBS Sports Radio, anywhere places transmit nationally. I just think you do not just keep an eye out for it anecdotally. See how much college football content you get. It's going to be minimal. Uh, Zubin, this week uh, the golf final major uh, takes place. The the U.S. Open, uh, the U.S. Open, the British Open, the Open Championship, at a course that hasn't hosted it since 1951. Um, so it's been a while, obviously, since they've been there. But is is this you know when when we look back? Knowing that uh, that the majors are over for a lot of people, that means golf season comes to an end. It's going to come to an end in the middle of July as opposed to August. I think it's a good thing. Uh, how do you see it? Agreed. Uh, this year obviously has already been tremendous. I mean, what Tiger gave us at the Masters pretty much carried the sport through the entire calendar of 2019. Great story to be back, as you mentioned, for the first time uh, in 68 years. Great story for Rory to perhaps finish it off uh, back in his home country, if you will. Great opportunity for Molinari, who a year ago was unknown by most golf fans and now sits there as the defending champion. And I think it does a lot to the FedEx Cup playoff. And I think when you have a $10 million prize and you have the names that you have, and obviously the impetus was to get this done before the NFL starts, um, I think you're going to get a pretty well-rated FedEx Cup and I think the idea is start that as early as possible. I'm of the thinking, and I know maybe not many people in your audience are, but I think the overwhelming percentage of NFL fans, and this may sound crazy because I know, Ken, you love it. I don't think from over the years of, of covering this, I don't think most fans care that much about trading camp, and I don't think most fans care that much about the preseason. They'll be ready for the Packers and the Bears, and then they'll be ready for Sunday night, and they'll be ready for the Thursdays after that. But golf is a great advantage here because, yes, once training camp starts, don't get me wrong, we'll have a lot of coverage on ESPN, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be locked in. But the average fan is given an opportunity to watch high-level golf that kept us going for $10 million a month or a month and a half after the Open Championship. That will get some eyeballs uh, because I do think while the NFL is quote-unquote in swing, it's not in swing for most people. 
that just watched. So I think this is a great opportunity to finish it off. Like I said, it could be a great story for Rory if he can get it done. It could be a great story for Tiger to bookend, obviously. He can get it done. There's been some stories this week. He's been waking up around 1 o'clock in the morning to get yeah. the clock right for what will be going on over there. So I think just the way golf started this year, it's already a home run no matter what happens here at the final major. Get the FedEx Cup playoff going on. I think he can rate pretty well. And obviously, uh, sometimes you just have to give. I don't. I think they'd love to have it the way that it was, but it just wasn't sparking dividends. I mean, you've heard even people like Jim Nance say that golf's postseason doesn't affect him the way that the NFL does. The NFL heart beats a little differently for a guy like that. And that's a guy that just turned 60 years old this year and is probably as identified with golf as any broadcaster ever in modern times. And even he says there's something about the NFL's regular season that gets him going, unlike golf, and he's given his entire life to golf. His latest daughter uh, was, was named after you know a golf course architect. I mean, mm. these are people that love the game. So I think it's a great move. We'll see what happens at the end of the week here on Sunday, but I think it's probably something that was necessary, had to be done, and was done. Final thing for you, Zubin. We'll get you out on this. I was reading a, a report in Sports Business Daily yesterday about the NHL and the possibility of them Kind of splitting up their rights. They've been on NBC Sports Network for a number of years now, going back to when they what was it, what the Outdoor Network, something like that. Can you'd remember better uh, than I? It was the Outdoor Network, but there was something else too. I think. But I was thinking for you, what property that ESPN doesn't have, play-by-play property they don't have that you would love to see. Of course, some of the golf majors now are over on Fox. We see some of the uh, college football also over there. What's the one thing that you wish ESPN had the rights to? Them alone, not ABC, ESPN, big ESPN, had the rights to that they don't currently. Oh, I think I can speak for most people at the company, although I, I, I know there are many, many, many people at ESPN uh, that would love to have the U.S. Open back in golf mm-hmm. only because um, it was such a huge part of ESPN's identity for so many years. We actually had a crew of 11 people um, that were involved in this almost from the beginning. And for them to not be a part of it is tough. That's a smaller one because you really have to be involved in our golf project and you really have to love golf. I happen to work with a lot of those people now that have transitioned into different things. And if you stop them on the street, I mean, they would do anything to be back in the U.S. Open. Um, but I would say for the large percentage of employees, I can't speak for all like 8,000 employees, but I think for a lot, a lot of people, the answer to that would just be to have the NCAA tournament back. That's the one that's really tough because it's funny when ESPN had it in the early nineties and I was just like a, a preteen or a teenager, uh, the early rounds were seen as the rounds you didn't really want to have. Uh, and now obviously for the casual observer for the 17 million people that print out a bracket every year or whatever it is, the first rounds aren't as coveted per se, let's say as the final four or championship Monday or Virginia winning the title in overtime against Texas tech. But it's obviously bringing a lot of people casual sports fans, avid sports fans, together alike. And that was something that was just pretty much on cable in the early 90s. Who wants to watch the early rounds? Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, it's turned to a point where the early rounds are can't miss. So I would say for the large percentage of employees, they would love to have the tournament back. It doesn't seem likely. I'm pretty sure CBS and Turner have it locked into well into the 2030s, if I'm not mistaken, plus any technology that might arise between then and now that would allow you to watch the tournament other than on your phone or on your television or tablet. So I think they've got the rights and all the technology booked well into a couple of decades. Uh, so that's something we won't be able to get our hands on. And that's tough because we broadcast more than 3,000 games a year. 
Um, people, you know, accuse ESPN of inventing things that they probably did invent Champ Week. Uh, but I think that was probably a good invention. I think sometimes yep. inventions come about, but that was a really good innovation. Whoever thought about that uh, particular idea. So that would be the answer, I think, for most ESPN employees, uh, if you asked it. And just to throw it out, I think it was on the Outdoor Life Network and also something called Versus. Back <laughs> That's yeah, what it was, yeah. Versus. You're right. See, I thought, too, but I, I would have bet a lot of money you would have said the NCAA men's basketball tournament. That that would have been your answer. I get the U.S. Open one. I thought maybe the hoops would be uh, be your answer. Zuba, we'll talk to you next Tuesday. We're out of time. As always, really appreciate uh, when we catch up with you. Thank you, Zuba, and you have a great week. Same to you. See you next week. Yeah, take care. Zuba Mahente from ESPN. Off to Dallas. Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports is next. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Let's get right to Dallas. Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports. Good enough to take some time out. Uh, from Big 12 Media Days to give us a few minutes here. Matt Trenton, Ken, thank you so much for coming on with us. Really appreciate it. You know, before we get into day two, just um, if you would, maybe one or two of your biggest takeaways from uh, the Monday sessions that you participated on, Matt. Oh, gosh, Monday feels like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, at these events, you, you, get, you have the expectation that you're going to get a lot of uh, just, you know, canned comments from coaches and and yesterday, the big takeaway for me was that it just wasn't a very scintillating day overall, uh, just in terms of what everybody said, what everybody did. I mean, I got some really good stuff from players that we'll be writing about over the next few weeks, but it wasn't one of those days where there was anything terribly controversial. Probably the biggest news peg that came out of the day was, A, Les Miles' sort of rumbling, bumbling, stumbling first two minutes at the podium during the morning session, which... I saw some people on Twitter playoff is not a big deal, but most of us who have been around college football for a while, uh, you know, we know Les Miles is not a an orator by any imagination, but he usually has his act together when he goes to the mm-hmm. podium. He, it, those first two minutes talking about Puka Williams, he just did not seem to have his act together, and he got better as the day went on. Uh, the other thing was, of course, the Lincoln Riley comments about Austin Kendall, uh, about his transfer to West Virginia. Um, you know, Lincoln made it sound like that the the problem that he had was the fact that he was trying to transfer to a school within the conference, which continues to come up in the Big 12. And I think it's really time for the for the conference, the NCAA, to really really be specific about whether or not a, a student athlete should be able to transfer within their conference. I think they should be able to, especially a player like Austin Kendall, who is a graduate transfer uh, and wanted to go someplace where he could play in 2019. I, I just didn't really see a big problem with it. Ultimately, Lincoln said his personal relationship with the kid and the family made a difference and then some people were like well you know it didn't make a difference with baker mayfield you know first of all i don't think lincoln riley is actually a head coach at oklahoma when uh uh baker mayfield chose to transfer to uh that's true uh, to ou but you know he he, he, you know he was given a chance in the afternoon to kind of kind of walk it back a little bit and and he really didn't uh the dominion post actually had a good uh story about that this morning I, i just think it's the vagaries of the transfer rule i mean Players are not allowed to transfer unfetteredly, but they do have to provide logic for the reason they're transferred or they're transferring. The NCAA's rule last year was very vague and very broad, which gave players a lot of freedom to uh, make their case for transfer. The NCAA has kind of narrowed that a little bit this year, but you know, I, I think a lot of teams in the NCAA still don't quite understand how to translate that at this point. 
Matt, you got to hear from Iowa State today. Matt Campbell uh, first up, and uh, a lot of conversation with him. Get to hear from some of the players as the day continues also. But your takeaway, of course, we have the local media down here, uh, down there from Iowa, but love to get your perspective after hearing from Coach Campbell. Well, you know, I think a lot of the questions today were about expectations, and there are mm-hmm. expectations attached to the program. And, you know, if you look at what Matt Campbell's built, the eight wins, the eight win season in 2017 was their first winning season in a decade. Their back to back eight win seasons were their first back to back winning seasons in about two decades. And I was just doing the research right now. If they win eight or more games this year, it'll be the first time Iowa State has had three straight seasons of eight wins or more since the late 70s, 76 through 78. So what Matt Campbell is doing at Iowa State is pretty special. And uh, he understands the expectations, and he seems like he's a, a coach that's very well-equipped to handle that because he seems to have a very even-kill personality. You know, uh, He seems to treat every, every question the same. He treats, treats it with respect. Uh, every question is a great question. And, he, and he's got some guys here today, uh, Marcel Spears Jr., uh, Jaquan Bailey, uh, Deshante Jones, you know, guys that have really been in the program for a few years and have really bought into what he's done, and he's built that methodically over the last three or four years. I thought when they hired him away from Toledo, I thought it was a great hire because he had done great work at Toledo, and he got a great framework uh, as a student athlete at Mount Union, which won a ton of, has won a ton of national championships at the D3 level, and he's done nothing to invalidate that going into his fourth season. Hmm. Uh, Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports is our guest. Matt, is, have you heard for um, a, a soundbite or anything that's made you, you know, go back and take another look at a school? I mean, last week, um, who was it, Trent, that we had on at, at, uh, that, that brought up the fact that, that Oklahoma State's quarterback, Sanders, is the, you know, he was the number one recruit for crying out loud in the state of Texas. So that made me go back a little bit and take another look at Oklahoma State. And maybe Gundy's team is going to be better than you know, some expected them to be. Has there been a team that has uh, has caused you to do that? It might have been Pete Mundo, well, actually. And it's actually interesting you bring Sanders up because we had a lot of discussion with Gundy about Sanders yesterday, and he said that one of the things one of the things he really liked about Sanders last year is that they sat him; they they really didn't play him at all. Is he he really paid attention during Sunday film? He really paid attention on the sideline on Saturdays. So he really paid attention to everything that was going on. And Gundy didn't name a starter yesterday, but the thing is, when you're a guy like that who is, you know, like you said, a ballyhooed recruit, I think he was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Texas last year, and you go to a program like Oklahoma State and you sit for the whole year and you play very little, it, it can be a little humbling. And it, feel, it seems like from Gundy's perspective that Sanders handled all that very capably. And since he hasn't, you know, selected a starting quarterback yet, that leads you to believe that Sanders is going to be very much in the running this fall. This isn't like last year where he surprised us by naming Taylor Cornelius starting quarterback. Nobody has singled themselves out in that offense just yet, which leads me to believe that Sanders has a good chance to be their starting quarterback. Speaking of starting quarterbacks, we talked yesterday, TCU, looking at a six-pack of quarterbacks they're trying to figure out here. If you like TCU there in the top half, do you pull back on the reins a little bit after hearing Gary Patterson talking about his six quarterbacks yesterday? Well, you know, Yes and no. I mean, they got a, a nice transfer in Alex Delton. Uh, I saw him last year. He's a good running quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's the best passing quarterback. They've got a good drop-back drop guy, Michael Collins. Uh, having six quarterbacks is a little bit absurd as, as candidates at this point in the season, and I think that, that Gary Patterson knows that. Uh, the thing that 
that keeps me from like taking a step back from them being in the top five is they are so experienced on the defensive side of the football. They took a lot of lumps last year. Uh, they've got a couple of really great players coming back that were injured last year and really uh, didn't have the opportunity to be a part of the team. Uh, Black Blacklock, uh, that their defensive tackle, that's going to make a huge difference to them defensively. So they're they're going to have to figure out some things on offense, even when they select a starting quarterback. But the fact that they have guys like Jalen Rager, uh, they have Darius Anderson, the running back, uh, they've got really good, productive guys returning on defense that have a lot of experience. That keeps them in the top five for me because I think ultimately they'll figure out the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. A couple more minutes with Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports. Matt, back to yesterday, uh, Bob Bowlesby uh, o- opened up the uh, the Big t- uh, 12 media days as he addressed the media. Really non-committal about playoff expansion. We know that eventually, at least we believe, eventually they'll get to that point. But are they, you know, are there backroom discussions? How did, what was your takeaway from Bowlesby's non-committal answer to the expansion of the college football playoff? Well, I think the non-committal answer tells me that, you know, there's been discussion. I mean, it may not be like official discussion with every commissioner sitting around a table actually banding about what the possibilities would be in that case. But at this point, as successful as the 14 playoff has been, and as, you know, as much controversy as, you know, non-selections like Ohio State a couple of years ago and Georgia last year have been, uh, you have to know that they're at least talking about it, at least in informal ways. Uh, I get the impression that they would like to fulfill the obligation of the contract they signed with ESPN, which I think was either a 10- or a 12-year contract. I don't think they want to mess with that contract at this point. I think they want to wait until that contract comes up for negotiation and then talk about the idea of going to an 18 playoff or maybe even a 16 team playoff. I don't think, uh, I think Bowlesby's non-committal yesterday is the party line, but by no means is anybody around here sitting around thinking that they're not talking about it. Of course they're talking about it because, you know, they know they're going to make money regardless of whether it's a 14 playoff or an 18 playoff. Uh, I think they're, they're being methodical and they're being thoughtful about it. They're seeing the success of the playoff at this point and saying to themselves, okay, we don't want to break this at this point. Let's just sit on it. Let's wait till the contract comes up. Then we'll talk about it. And you get to hear from the head of officiating, Greg Burks. Horns down. Thumbs up, uh, thumbs down. Scintillating conversation this morning. <laughs> uh, the, ni- the nice thing about this year is it's an off year. So they, they redo the rule book every two years. This is an off year. So the only real things they tweaked were things that were related to player safety. You know, they made some tweaks to targeting. They made some tweaks to this and that. The big thing is the overtime tweak. Um, apparently, seven overtimes is too many overtimes from a player safety standpoint, which is weird because I'm pretty sure we've had at least two or three eight overtime mm-hmm. games since they implemented the overtime rule. Uh, but now, after the fourth overtime, it's going to be uh, they made some adjustments there that they, ho- they hope will wrap up the game in the, in the fifth overtime at that point. And that's all on our Twitter feed at Heartland College Sports. I can't uh, remember all of it off the top of my head, but not a lot of rules changes this year. Some tweaks to targeting, some tweaks to the overtime rules. Uh, other than that, pretty much the status quo, which is nice because we had to spend a lot of time last year learning about all this stuff at Media Day and then uh, spending the first few weeks of the season watching it being applied in action. We did not get any confirmation about Horns Down, however. Um, <laughs> the question was asked. It came up. He was like, well, it depends. <laughs> the, the impression that I got was basically – if you're celebrating with your teammates on the sideline and you do like a quick horns down, it's no big deal. But if you go up to like a Longhorns player 
or the bench or the fans like Will Greer did mm, that's uh, at the Texas game last year and do the horns down for like five seconds that you're probably going to get flagged for it. It's it, college football. Let I mean, play. Come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and and to me, the only two schools that should ever use the horns down is Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Everybody else hmm. doesn't matter to me. I mean, do it, don't do it. But those are their rivals. Those are the two schools that have earned the right to do it, in my opinion. Right of time, Matt Postens. Thank you for finding time for us, buddy. Listen, we really appreciate it. Uh, we will read you it, as we always do, and your entire team down there. Heartland College Sports has the Big 12 covered. Thank you, Matt. All right, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you, Matt Postens. Uh, live from Dallas. All right, Randy Wayhofer and Chris Williams coming up in hour number two. Miller and Condon here until noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.